One of the things that I think about when I'm talking about indoor players moving to the beach as far as attacking is that I think the responsibility goes more on to the attacker. What I mean by that is an indoor, a setter has a set location where, and a lot of times in indoor, the tempo is a little bit quicker. So there's a window that a setter is supposed to put the ball in. And I think that that idea changes a little bit on the beach, mainly because our approach is a little bit slower. It's more controlled. We'll go into that in a second. But I think that attackers need to think more about, okay, it's not my setter's job to put this ball 100% in the perfect place. It's my job to call for the set, knowing that my setter is going to try his or her best to get that ball into that location. But then it's up to me to use my footwork, my steps, my adjustments to get this ball to my optimal position of for my attack. If, if every hitter could take that mentality, no matter what, whether you're an indoor player, whether you're a beach player of the setter is making dinner and throwing it up into the air. It's my job to go and eat wherever mm -hmm. dinner is served. If everybody could do that mentally, and then setters always tell themselves mentally, I have to put it in this perfect window, then you'll meet together in a much better way. Instead of like you're saying, the setter is giving me a ball and I have to like deal with whatever location I receive it at. It's not nah, up in the air. And even if it's faster and if it is an indoor, there's still that moment in time where you can either be more aggressive or you can slow down on your third step or your last two steps and attack that ball. But I, I like the way you're putting that of, hey, it's up to you, hitter. It's not up to mm -hmm. the setter to give it to you. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Better at Beach Volleyball. Today, we are going to talk about hitters and specifically converting hitters from indoor to beach volleyball huge differences that we can see that we know there's a few pains that every indoor player goes through when they are converting themselves into beach and then there's a, a few shortcuts that we can take you through so hopefully if you're an indoor player if you've been playing on the hardwood and you're making your way to the beach or you haven't figured out quite how to make that transition this episode is going to be for you welcome to the Better at Beach podcast. Brandon, what's going on? Brandon Joyner, my man. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, I'm excited to talk about the attackers today because last time we spent a lot of time talking about the setting and it's setting is definitely, it's a tough transition when you're going from indoor to beach, but there are definitely some pain points that I'm excited to touch on for today uh, when we're talking about attacking because everybody loves attacking. But if you just try to carry over from indoor, you're uh going to run into some issues. You're going to feel a little unathletic for a little bit. And sometimes that frustration frustration can last longer than it needs to. So yeah, I'm excited. I love these little chats, man. They're becoming more and more fun. And it's, it's cool to get on here and just kind of chat with you and talk about some ideas that are always going through our head. And it's cool to get them out there. So right. Uh, yeah, it's always fun. I increasingly more and more the value of a phone call or person to person speaking as opposed to text messaging and emails. For me, I do love writing. I enjoy it. I feel like I get my thoughts out clearly and I can make a few edits to it. And then when I get it out, I know that it exists in the world. At least there's something that can be done with it. When it sits in your head, it hides. It really does. And I think more people need to find ways to get their ideas, their thoughts, their feelings out so that they truly exist in this planet and among other people. And it's when you're inside your own head, 
you don't realize that other people aren't on the exact same page as you. We talk about this in like relationships, just where do you put your toothbrush? <laughs> some people might think that's bonkers. And so, and you know, some people are like, yeah, of course, of course we go under the sink instead of right next to the sink. And some people say, it looks like a mess when it's on top of the sink. And just something small like that baffles you when you have to live with others, but allowing yourself to get your ideas out the way that we're doing it. And I hope that some other coaches and players can find ways to have conversations out loud so that they can understand each other better. Yeah, it's. I notice my mood changes drastically when I'm not able to vocalize my thoughts. You know, mm. so like, I think I'm kind of the opposite as, as you on that one where I'm not the biggest writer. My sister would attest to this. <laughs> Every time I write something, I send it over to her and I'm like, hey, do whatever you need to do to make this sound good. Like, these are my thoughts. Make it into something that somebody can read. But the personal encounters, that's like, not only does it allow me to get my thoughts out and relieve whatever weight I have on my shoulders of chatting and just getting out that energy that I need to, but I also, I think I crave it. It's weird. You talk about being an introvert versus an extrovert. And, and there are certainly some times where I'm very introverted. I don't want to see anybody. I want my time to myself. I, I need to go through some things. But then if I'm in that setting a little too long, then I start to notice I get a little quiet and my energy level drops. But the second, like whenever we do our camps, as exhausting as those are for us, Whenever I'm done with them, I have this new sense of kind of energy and drive. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm just, I'm able to communicate with people. I'm able to toss around ideas, have new conversations. And it's, so it's very rewarding for me. It makes you wonder if uh, there's forced kindness. And we talk about momentum and rhythm a lot. You know, when you're talking to somebody out loud, you're usually forced to be a little bit kinder, especially when we talk about like social media and posting and just writing things. You know, it's easy to be a jerk to everybody when they're not standing in front of your face. But when you get to, to speak, to talk, to talk out loud, to share your thoughts, you kind of have to get along with people a little bit better. And you wonder if maybe, maybe there would be some less meanness in the world uh, if more people talked instead of texting. You know, if you're sitting there on Bumble or Tinder and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you couldn't just go somebody, <laughs> you have right. to actually have a discussion with every person you matched on. <laughs> yeah, for <laughs> sure. World. That's an interesting point. I mean, uh, we see this all the time, especially in the business setting where if somebody happens to like maybe what somebody in Hermosa shows up to a class and it, it gets canceled because of high winds or something like mm -hmm. that. And then the email we get afterwards for the cut for the class being canceled is very, very angry, you know, and, and I understand it because they're they missed an opportunity to get out and play. And I realize now that calling that person and just explaining what's going on. And once they hear your voice and that, to that tone of voice if you can make it kind and positive then that tension that was created by something kind of outside of your hands is now alleviated it's kind of it just makes for a better understanding and, it, and it's just a quicker resolution to whatever issue it is and way so, quicker yeah. and usually people are not so great at lying in person and mm -hmm. they, feel pressured, they feel pressured not to right you know? or exaggerate so, yeah, or yeah. can I get them to be more honest? So everybody out right. there, go ahead and make a phone call. Next yeah. time you want to talk to somebody way faster, sure. way more yeah. efficient, and 
a lot a lot nicer to hear somebody's voice mm-hmm. that was a good little intro and you know i've had a number of phone calls recently and i got to hang out with a good friend can't really share his name but he's a coach of a prestigious university for indoor and he wanted to talk blocking and all he wanted to hear was when you're teaching blocking on the beach what words what cues do you use we need some new tools because our systems aren't working the way we want them to and the players just aren't getting it and you know here's a guy like d1 university has had incredible success and is still open to learning from friends not not from somebody who's done it better than him like have i coached at a, at a higher level indoor now but Am I able to provide a slightly different point of view and then at least make him say his thoughts out loud so that I can counter them and he needs to defend them? Yeah. So that's what we did. We watched uh, indoor women's volleyball, NCAA, for about an hour and a half yesterday. And we talked nothing but blocking and block positioning. And after a while, we finally started to see the huge differences between what his blocking his team's blocking lineups were and what the best blocking teams in his conference and the country were doing and it was toot my own horn but it was exactly what i was thinking the lineups should be Uh, and for indoor it's just taking a lot more angle on a very consistent basis and so the lineups that we saw from some of the best blocking teams in the country were significantly different than the lineups that his players were getting and we talked a lot about how that relates to beach volleyball so indoor and and Beach being able to convert and marry the two and find the differences, but find the similarities. That's what we're talking about today. It's pretty cool. And it's, yeah. it's even cooler, especially as an adult, like it's okay to ask for help, you know? It's a simple conversation. Most of the yeah. time it's, it's like, it was probably refreshing for you to watch some indoor volleyball for a little bit, it you know? Was. Yeah, it was. you know, you're like, wait, how do I tie my shoes again? <laughs> <laughs> So that being said, converting indoor and beach, marrying the two and separating the two. Today, we're talking all about hitting and how to convert our indoor players out there to beach volleyball and the important keys that you need to remember, pitfalls, and uh, everything in between. So attacking. The principles, everybody, are the same. Principles are very, very same. For left sides, we create a lot of angles. We get outside. We come in at at least a 45-degree angle, and we like to create that too. For one, for the outside setters or the outside hitters and indoor, you want to create that angle because it, it more allows the ball to come at your face but what that does makes it easier to hit for sure but what it does is it also allows your hips to be a little bit open to the ball so that you can rotate through it and get some torque getting outside at a 45 degree angle in indoor also allows you to chase the ball in which promotes you getting the ball or attacking the ball when it's on the right side of your body right we see the same or we need to embrace the same on beach For all those junior players, people who have been through high school, club, college programs, and you hear constantly on indoor, get outside, get outside, get outside for left sides, that principle has to remain for attackers. We don't necessarily need to get outside, but what you do have to do is set up your angle every single time. And it has to be intentional. And what happens when an outside hitter comes from indoor is they feel like they pass And on the beach, they don't have to move anywhere anymore. So all of a sudden, they don't get into this shuffle outside rhythm to develop momentum, to create space. They just pass and sit there because they think everything's up and down. But all of that work that you did as an indoor left side hitter, getting outside and creating those angles, you don't have to go as far outside, but you still have to set up that 45 degree angle. 
so that you can really attack strong diagonal so that your hips are more open to the ball and so that you have that space for your right side attacking arm. Mm -hmm. I'd say that's one of one. I think indoor players make fun of beach players because they think we're lazy. And then when they come out to the beach, they don't do anything. They play lazy volleyball. And then you mm -hmm. see guys who really work to get their positioning. And those are the highest level guys. You know, the thing, the guys in the U.S. I think of are Jeremy Casebeer and Shai Bourne, who consistently kick it outside and set up their angles every time. And that's a lot of work. I actually, we have our women's program that meets on Tuesday mornings. And I went by yesterday morning to watch for a little while and actually stopped practice for a second to bring that point up exactly. And, and the way that I spoke about it more had to do with your body movements matching your call. And what I mean by that is like a lot of times people will pass in the normal serve receive position and then they'll call for a push set, but they won't shuffle to their sideline when they or anywhere after they've called for a push set, you know, and I and I think we talk about this idea about finding your hitting corridor, getting your momentum going towards your favorite shot, which for most of us is going to be that hard cross. And so it's just important to remember that whatever you call you're 98% of the time going to have to shuffle in one direction or the other yeah. without cutting off your distance to the net. There's a way to do it to make your movements less, you know? So for instance, if you don't like shuffling all the way out, then you shouldn't be calling for an outside set, you know? You can you call can play for lazy. A, yeah, <laughs> you can you can call for a middle set every single time and then that now that angle has kind of been found for you. But if you're trying to make that blocker move by calling a set that is away from the setter, then your your movements need to match that call. And I think just like you said, a lot of the times attackers don't think about doing that beforehand. They just use their approach. But but now our momentum is going in the wrong direction and it just makes it a lot easier for the defense to position themselves to help them score a little bit easier. You know, it makes your job of scoring as an attacker a lot more difficult. Yeah. You know, if we move those to the right side, since we're creating all those angles on the left, we create more straight lines or at least skinnier angles from the right. So if you're an indoor player and you can imagine how your opposite right-handed hitter hits, that person kind of runs along the sideline. Mm -hmm. A few of them might kick out a tiny bit, but there's no way that they're creating that same angle on the right that they do on the left. And here's what all of the indoor players do. They take the positioning of we, uh, us, you're, you're all my people, everybody. <laughs> here's what indoor players will do. They see the antennas and they know that they're supposed to hit near antennas for indoor. And then they see those same sticks on the beach and they think that their offense can try, always has to be out there. So you'll see right sides moving far away from their setter being attracted to hitting near that antenna. Instead of embracing the original principle, which is make your right arm a little bit more available, use your cross body availability and run in more straight lines and skinnier angles. So instead of the antennas, let's just take into play the angles that these players approach from left sides and right sides. Right sides in indoor and on the beach should have skinnier angles or more straight lines running parallel with the sidelines. Left sides should always be coming in at some form of angle. You know, we always say always, and, and of course we have caveats here, but we're talking to the, the base of beginners, Bs and A players. And when you move up to get to the open level, 
once you've established the principles and you know what your weak points will be and you know what your strong points will be, then you can take advantage in different ways when we talk about advanced offense. To have control of the principles and know what each position does to you is important first. So that way you, then you can start being creative with your offense. So right sides, straight lines, left sides, still at an angle. And right sides, you don't need to be near the antenna like you do in indoor. You can if you want to, you can always set that up, but you don't need to kick out to that sideline in order to get that set. Absolutely love that you're saying this right now because it is probably like, I would say a decent amount of players come from indoor to the beach. You know, it, it's a very easy transition, especially after college or high school where you played, you move to a new town, finding indoor facilities somewhat sometimes can be fun. And then the next transition is normally, all right, well, I want to switch it up a little bit. I don't want to wear shoes. So I'm going to hop on the sand. But this whole conversation reminds me, uh, we did a video I think it came out last month or two months ago, and it was about what set you should be calling for. And in the beginners, and I go through three different levels where it's a beginner, an intermediate, and then like an, an open level player. And I give different types of set ideas. And for the beginners, a lot of the sets that I'm talking about are straight up and down. And normally when, when we put out a video, we get a lot of positive comments. Wow, this is a great video that I've watched. Uh, man, this makes so much sense. But for some reason, this video, and I was so excited for this video to come out because I was like, people are finally going to hear where they should be asking for these sets to go. We got to uh, include this in the show notes. This is this a YouTube video? You remember what yeah, we called it? I want to say what type of set you should be calling or offensive design. I can look, I can look up, look it up. Ahead, I'll look in the background. You, you finish yeah. It, so. But a lot, if we got some comments on it that completely disagreed with what I was saying, and I truly believe that like these up and down sets, one, it's, it's easier for a setter to do. And, and two, it's easier for the attacker. If they know where that's going to be, it's easier for the attacker to find their starting location by shuffling and where they, where they should be beginning. But man, mm -hmm. we, we just had a decent amount of comments that were that were saying up oh, i completely disagree with this you should be hitting out by the pin and at, like every single time you should be going to that pin because that's a location where you know that set's going to be and it's i'm not sure i agree with that at all because that <laughs> set like you the idea i understand the idea but you also have to think about the ability of your setter you know and uh i think this idea of what your ability is to find your angle whether it's on the left side, finding that like 45 degree angle. And then on the right side, going a little bit more parallel with the sideline, wherever you decide to hit, whether it's the middle of the court or by the pin, I kind of wish I had used that in that video because it, it might've stopped some of those <laughs> negative comments that we got. It's just a really, really good point that people, you don't have to hit at the pin at all. And actually sometimes it can kill your game. Call for the set you want, get that angle going. I agree with that so much, so much. The video we're talking about, it's on YouTube. We just posted it and we'll include it in the show notes for those of you who are listening. But it's called Volleyball Tips. It's on YouTube on our Better Beach channel. It's called Volleyball Tips, Secrets to Hitting Harder and Winning More Points, parentheses, by calling for the right set. Volleyball Tips, Secret to Hitting Harder and Winning More Points. And so we've got it up there and we always get those. We get the challenges, which I appreciate. Mm -hmm. Like we said, oh, yeah. love that people are commenting, sharing their ideas, because we're not the type of guys that have to dig harder into whatever our ideals are. 
I like to take those and say, let's try to prove this person right, you know? And then I'll see, okay, uh, is it so different? Do the principles and the physics of it and the body mechanics, does it work to prove this person right? And has it been done before? Sometimes they're right and it hasn't been done before. I really like taking those ideas and saying, how do I prove this person right? And we, we can't do it all the time. And at this point, we've gotten pretty good at teaching. So it's not like we have to take everybody's, <laughs> everybody's right. negative uh, comments into account. But I do like when somebody, when you comment on our videos, on our podcasts, on anything, don't just say wrong. Yeah. Teach. Go ahead. Use that moment to teach your mm -hmm. version instead of attacking and derailing somebody else's version. You know, that's it's kind of why people hate politics is because you just see these two guys bickering up there instead of, I don't want to hear you defend or attack this person's point of view anymore. I want to hear what you actually have to say if you were in a vacuum. You know, let's hear your thoughts. And so if you, right. if you guys are commenting on posting, do it like that. And then we yeah. have to engage in the conversation. And the sport, this it's no secret that the sport's still progressing, you know? So something we say today might be, might have some team from Sweden or Norway <laughs> in the next, well, they're already established now, but maybe somewhere from starts playing this different type of game where now people are like, huh, I never thought about that before. So it's, yeah, it's definitely awesome. But kind of staying on the same topic of sets where that video is kind of talking about, one of the things that I think about when I'm talking about indoor players moving to the beach as far as attacking mm -hmm. is that I think the responsibility goes more on to the attacker. What I mean by that is an indoor, a setter has a set location where, and a lot of times in indoor, the tempo is a little bit quicker. So there's a window that a setter is supposed to put the ball in. And I think that that idea changes a little bit on the beach, mainly because our approach is a little bit slower. It's more controlled. We'll go into that in a second. But I think that attackers need to think more about, okay, it's not my setter's job to put this ball 100% in the perfect place. It's my job to call for the set, knowing that my setter is going to try his or her best to get that ball into that location. But then it's up to me to use my footwork, my steps, my adjustments to get this ball to my optimal position of, for my attack. If, if every hitter could take that mentality, no matter what, whether you're an indoor player, whether you're a beach player of the setter is making dinner and throwing it up into the air. It's my job to go and eat wherever mm -hmm. dinner is served. If everybody could do that mentally, and then setters always tell themselves mentally, I have to put it in this perfect window, then you'll meet together in a much better way. Instead of like you're saying, the setter is giving me a ball and I have to like deal with whatever location I receive it at. It's now it's up in the air. And even if it's faster and if it is an indoor, there's still that moment in time where you can either be more aggressive or you can slow down on your third step or your last two steps and attack that ball. But I, I'd like the way you're putting that of, Hey, it's up to you, hitter. It's not up to mm -hmm. the setter to give it to you. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I think that that's really good. And I think you start to see it a little bit more, mainly in body language. You know, like when you're an indoor player, that's where you start to see. I know I had a middle that I played with in high school that literally I don't remember a single thing about his gameplay. All I remember is that after every single set, telling me he wants it higher, you know? And I'm just like, come on, bro. Like, I set you. Like, say thanks. Get, just get a kill. And most of the time he would, you know, but with indoor, sometimes on the pens, you see uh, it died inside, it died inside, you know, and that communication's there a lot. But on the beach, you start to, the setters will make that comment of saying, ah, sorry, it died inside a little bit. And then a lot of times you'll hear that attacker right away 
if they're experienced, they'll say, ah, it's okay. I still got to do, I, I got to get my feet there anyway, you know? And I think that conversation, especially, I think it happens a lot more on the sand than it does in indoor, because I think that especially at the top level or uh, high level, these beach players realize that setters are doing their best and same thing for indoor, but they just haven't figured out a way to be super nice to their setters yet. This is setters appreciation day. <laughs> there should be a all the yeah. better at beach setter appreciate Brandon. <laughs> yeah. We're making a national holiday. Appreciate appreciate your setters. And the um, barrels. Yeah. They need some, <laughs> yeah. Pretty much the only days that the only players that don't need a day are outsides and opposites because they get set way too much. They get all the glory. But yeah, see, just having that conversation on the sand and hearing people do it often, it's cool to see. And it just relieves a lot of stress too. Like setting is a difficult skill. And if you're able to, like, I remember one of the first players that I played with where I felt comfortable with their, with my attacking was uh, I played with Brett Griner. And he is a phenomenal setter. But one of the conversations that we that we had was that we didn't feel a lot of stress as a setter, a passer, or an attacker because we knew that everybody was trying their best to put that ball in the location and that we were good enough on the touch after that to just make that touch even better. Yeah. You know, so the stress was just alleviated right away. Those conversations of whose fault is it of do this better. Number one, if you're a setter and you repeatedly look at your passer and then you say that you can't set a ball because of a certain pass, shut up and get it done. If you're a hitter who says that you can't make a certain hit because of the set, shut up and get it done. If everybody embraces this individually, you will be a much better player. You should come to the court with the pride that whatever dinner you get served, you can do something good with it. You know, mm-hmm. you're angry, you got to mix up and you just make, make it happen. But every all players need to stop with the excuse of the touch before them. We talked, I think there's a story about Haydn and Theo. And Haydn, you know, he loves in transition and sometimes in his side out offense. He loves to have that indoor set. And I'll put this in quotation marks where he says, literally, throw it through a window it should land on the court next to us if i don't hit it and Mm -hmm. i'm gonna cut it off and so theo during one of his practices he's like oh so you want like an indoor set and hayden looks at him like with deadpan face goes no i want a high level beach volleyball set i love it for so many reasons but the idea of like no this isn't just like a set a game from another sport it's what you're expected to do at this level you should Mm -hmm. be able to dive and make a perfect set you know, if you want to get to the next level and you're telling yourself that you can't dive and make a perfect set, you're not going to be at the next level, you know? So you need to have the pride as a hitter. Whatever set you get, you can put a ball away. Then after you put the ball away, then you can give your little critiques on what your perfect set looks like and then shut up and let your player work on that. Same thing for the setters. No matter what pass you get, if you get a dive, if you need to pokey set, whatever, your pride in your game and your athleticism should say, I can make a great set out of absolutely anything you give me so long as I can get at least a fingernail on it. I like that pride. Challenge yourself. Let's talk about shots. For indoor players who imagine shots and locations when they come to the beach, and I might be alone here, but for me, 
it was such a significant slowdown when I would hit a shot. My approach would slow down, so I would jump softer. My arm swing would significantly slow down. So I was able to look. For whatever reason, I got really good at looking at the court really quick uh, in my beach career. But mm -hmm. as soon as I looked, my body would recognize that that spot was open. And then I felt like I had done like I'd done the whole job, like, ah, I'm going to select the right spot. So all I have to do is put the ball there. And once I relaxed and I thought that I had the problem figured out, my jump slowed down. I hit on my way down. So I jumped up, then on my way down. So I let the blocker form in a big way. I let the defense really set their feet. And I would relax my arm swing into that open location that I quote unquote knew was open. And so now I'm in the air and I'm basically like, if I'm in a fight, like I'm swinging in slow motion and somebody needs to react to that. The defense is going to pick all of this up because they see where my arms move. So for anybody who's converting yourself from indoor to beach, or you've just been playing beach for a long time, learn to accelerate your shots, learn to hit it on the way up and at the top of your jump. Don't jump, feel your top and then start your swing start your swing before you get to the top so you actually hit at the top of your swing keep your arm as quick as you possibly can and make the ball travel as fast as possible while still being in the contact point from the time where you decide from the moment you decide when you're going to hit a certain spot to making that ball touch the ground that time and i know you've said this before that time needs to be as short as possible you have to hurry the ball to the ground hurry it over the blocker, hurry it inside the blocker and down and get rid of this loopy, slow notion that a shot should be slow and soft. It's not, it's just not a hundred percent swing. And it's something that definitely avoids the defender touching it and avoids the blocker touching it. So when you're converting indoor to beach or you're just trying to get better at beach, you need to accelerate your shots, move your arm fast. And the way to do that is just by moving it as fast as you can. And then if you're like watching from home on this video, I'm going to move my hand as fast as I can at my fist, but then I stop it. If I move my hand through my fist, that's when power comes. That's when I'm going to detonate on a ball. But if I move it quick and I just stop right at the face of, of my fist, there's no pain on the ball, but I've still moved my hand quick. So accelerate mm -hmm. shots, people, accelerate shots. I think that's probably the hardest thing for new people coming onto the beach to get rid of. And it happened, I, the scenario that I, I think about that comes to mind right away, and this happens at pretty much every level where there would be a blocker, you know? Like if we're talking about beginners and there's no blocker at the net, sometimes people will slow down a lot. But after somebody gets blocked hitting a ball hard, then while they're walking back to serve receive, a lot of people tell themselves that the next ball is going to be a shot because they don't want to get blocked twice in a row, you know, and it's, there's two issues with that. One, whenever you get blocked, like you're most of the time when you hit hard, your approach, like you said, is going to be fast. It's going to be quick. You're going to jump. Your arm swing is going to be fluid. When you tell yourself too early that you're going to be shooting, that's when our approach gets really lazy. It doesn't, it's not explosive. And then it just becomes so easy to read that now you're making your job of scoring even more difficult. But now you have a different struggle because now they know that you're not going to hit again because you're scared of getting blocked twice. And now they know that you're just looking for the open spot of the court, which if you do that too early, it can definitely ruin, ruin your game as well. I had someone tell me 
uh, I think it was my boy TJ Cloud uh, yeah. on the East Coast. And he told me that no matter what, I should be approaching every single ball like I want it to be the best looking hit I've ever had on the day. And then if I decide, and for me, when I first started out and I was playing, going from indoor to beach, really the only time I shot was when I had a bad jump or if I was underneath the ball or something like that, because I was really focusing on keeping my the energy of my approach and the speed of my approach the same between when I'm attacking and hitting. And I used to do the same thing when I was setting. Uh, Fred used to have me do this, where when I was setting back sets before I would actually set back set, I would convince myself or I would even say that I was setting a go ball to the pin. And the reason for that is it doesn't allow you to get that kind of predetermined idea in your mind, which gives away the result. Because in setting, a lot of times, if you're going to set back and you're not a great setter, you're going to take this ball way behind your head, which shows that it's going to a back set. Same thing for outside. People are going to be touching that ball too far in front of their face. So I kind of took that mentality to the beach as well, where I was kind of thinking, you know what? I'm just going to go in like I'm going to hit every single one of these balls. And then at the last second, if I need to, I can listen to my block, my setter's call. At this point, I didn't know how to look. I can listen to my setter's call and I can do a quick shot. I think that was one of the big turning points for my game is just trying to keep that approach consistent. When we talk about consistent speed and quick arm swings and being able to, like you said, jump and move the same as if you're about to hit hard one of the best players and this is a, a one recommendation on youtube that's not to our channel but go hunt down videos of lombardo ontiveros he's a mexican defender who never stops moving his arm extremely quickly now this can be kind of difficult for people because you have to have your arm moving at maximum speed while still kind of just dusting the ball for shots and hitting cut shots but when you see him play offense and you see literally his arm moves the same speed, whether he's hitting hard or whether he's hitting a shot, he just learns how to dust the ball or carve the side of it. This is somebody that you can really, really learn from and that you can learn how to accelerate those shots and keep it quick. And even just the idea of moving your arm quickly will sort of create this like little double hitch in the defender. So even if the ball comes off of your hand slowly, when it still freezes the defender for a second because they're picking up the trajectory of the arm and maybe the ball moves in a different direction. So mm -hmm. that speed, keeping that arm speed is important. And Lombardo Ontiveros, Mexican beach volleyball national team, not actually sure if he's playing anymore, but great player and somebody that a lot of people can learn from to, to embrace. Yeah, and I think contacts like that that you're explaining, that's when you start to hear the adjective crisp. When people say, oh, that shot was crisp, it has to have all of those characteristics that you just talked about. So pay attention when you're watching AVPs, when you're watching high-level tournaments. If someone says, oh, that shot was crisp, see what that shot looked like. Most of the time, it's not somebody running under the net or running under the ball with their elbow already forward, hitting a high line that scores. It's this good drawback, arm swing looks the same, ball pops off that hand. It doesn't look much different than an attack, but it gets to that location that it wants to very quickly. And we're all trying to have those crisp shots. <laughs> yeah. The last thing that I do want to talk about 
is the length and the speed of the approach. That is a very, very common discussion. And when people talk about beach volleyball, there's this constant discussion of shortening your approach, shortening your approach. Here's what I'll say about that. You don't necessarily need to shorten your approach. You will broad jump less on the beach, but you will still broad jump. So you don't have to practice stopping and just landing in the exact same place you'll jump a little bit straighter than you would in indoor because you're not flying right but you shouldn't be so concerned with jumping straight and stopping that broad jump if you watch world tour olympic level beach volleyball players yeah there are a couple where they land in the same spot but everybody is still broad jumping three four or five feet when they're attacking on the beach okay so getting your feet to the ball is more getting your feet to the right spot so that the ball is just slightly in front of you and you're still jumping with a tiny bit of broad jump. As far as length of the approach and speed, in indoor, you're going to have bigger steps because your momentum carries you. So you almost bounce off of each step. And then you have to be going really fast on the hardwood in order to get your highest vertical. But that vertical doesn't necessarily work the same way for sand because if you go extremely fast horizontally and you use that turning the block step, that last turned step of your foot for your approach, you're going to end up shoveling a lot of sand forward instead of compressing it down. So you still need the combination of forward movement and low and low hips, but you shouldn't think about that hard hockey stop style jump that you think about on the indoor because more often your toes are going to be facing forward when you take off from the beach they're going to be facing your momentum but on an indoor then you're going to turn that last foot sideways so that uh, you kind of take off over the outside of your ankle so people's foot position will change on the indoor they'll turn their foot hard in so that they can use that block step which stops all of their speed that they've generated in beach you want your toes a little bit more straight so you're keeping them in line with the direction that you're going and you're not going to be massively accelerating through your steps on the beach um, that'll create a bad situation where you end up pushing too much sand because the friction won't stop you so i would say yeah you're gonna shorten it a little bit right but don't think about generating massive amounts of speed forward you can do that with your last step and just make sure that your final two steps are quick and again that toe point it kills a lot of people and they don't know it because they've been doing that indoor approach for 10 15 20 years and they bring that same approach to the beach and it disguises itself and it hurts them and their hips get locked so that they don't have access to more of the court i think something that we should do is like when you're talking about about the difference between broad jumps and the difference between the steps and how they're not as big as people imagine them to be mm. i feel like we should do a science experiment where we actually look at because if you're doing math it, it kind of makes sense to where let's say an indoor you broad jump five feet okay and then in sand you broad jump three feet just to make the math easy so in reality now we're looking at your starting position should probably be about two feet closer than your approach would be if you were mm -hmm. an indoor you know but i think a lot of people that this it's just so much larger for some reason you know they think that their if their indoor approach is at 20 feet from the net then their beach approach should be from 12 feet mm -hmm. you know and that difference is just way too large you know and when you when you break down the fact that yes you're gonna lose a couple inches on the steps 
you're going to lose maybe a foot or two on the on the broad jump. That conversation is it's pretty cool to have because it, it makes that number a little bit easier to see. You know, like when you were just breaking that down, it'd be an interesting point to see, like maybe take and see like what the average broad jump is on the sand, you know? Mm -hmm and what the average broad jump is in indoor and i think that that would allow people to see what the what the different starting point should be and not even to mention that when you shorten or if you half your approach on the beach now you have to spend all of your visual energy looking up at the ball and when you look up you can't see the defense you don't have the defense in your background with the ball in your foreground instead your neck has to crank up and so you lose sight of everything in front of you so these short approaches are crushing people's vision you know? mm -hmm. it's unfortunate that it's it's taught in so many places but can yeah. be fixed and the, the number one thing that i would suggest is go <laughs> find your favorite avp your favorite world tour player and pause every single time they're attacking and the setter is touching the ball just tell me where they are and then go and you put a sock or a water bottle at the exact same distance and you challenge yourself to do that now if you're a young kid yeah okay you're not going to have that same power with each step you're not going to have the same jumps or same length of legs with each steps but the difference between people's gait and how much distance they can have like because we hear this all the time for shorter players they're like oh well, i shouldn't get as far as you all right let's go look at katie spieler let's go look at adrian Karambula and alexander huber from austria smaller guys and smaller girl who take a lengthy approach i mean well behind half court when the setter's contacting the ball. So guys, go do your homework. We've done it for you. We've got a bunch of offensive design videos on YouTube. You can check those out. And if you really want to fix your approach and your arm swing and your jump mechanics, then you have to sign up for our 60-day max vertical program and you have to sign up for our attacking masterclass side out and win tournaments. We go through all of that, like with the approach, positioning, what your offensive selection should be based on what sets you have and based on the defensive sets. There's easy ways to figure it out, to get yourself out of the same problems. There's nothing that we haven't really seen. So if you want to upgrade your offense or if you just want to fix your approach and your jump mechanics, go ahead. You can sign up right now. And it's a good time to sign up right now as we're airing because we have a $27 seven-day challenge for mobility, shoulder strengthening, and glute activation. And I'm going to meet with this small group every day for seven days. And you'll have the opportunity to work with me one-on-one -on -one for those seven days where you can ask any questions you want. You can post any of the videos you want, and I will be working with that team personally. And so that's available now for anybody who's currently watching. If you're listening to the recorded version or the podcast version, we might be on another round. We can only do this a few times a year, but check out betteratbeach.com forward slash foundations. I'll show you how to warm up. I'll show you a mobility practice that will increase your vertical and increase your speed and provide you with the tools that you can use to upgrade everything physically and most importantly, keep you injury free. That's the number one piece of feedback that we get is, especially with the arm swing course, that people like, I've been in pain for so long and all of these programs have gotten me out of pain and now I'm playing free for the first time in years. And that's, we can hang our hat, our hat on that and be really proud of that. So if you guys are interested in pain-free conditioning to increase your mobility, your range of motion, and learn 
how to jump and how to approach and how to lift. Right now you have the opportunity to, it's a seven day athletic foundations challenge. It starts February 28th and it's at betterbeach.com forward slash foundations. You get to work with me and hang out with me just like this, except we do it in some Zoom videos and you get to post all of your videos uh, from your lifts and from your volleyball matches and practices. And uh, I'd love to see you and, and help you out one-on-one. I like it. And I kind of want to add this a little bit. We got some comments on the side that I want to call uh, in the kindest way possible. I want to call some people out. So Bjorn and Haley, I think that there is a lot of uh, credit to what you're saying about the steps and the hindrance and stuff like that. But one thing that stands out to me a lot is, so the comment that we have is if your reactive strength is good enough, I think you can still take advantage of a pretty long step, even in sand. But if your legs are too weak, the energy will get lost in the sand. That is a true statement. But the issue is not the step. The issue is your strength, which is a you problem. Okay. Mm -hmm. That is not a volleyball problem. So that is exactly why we have these foundations courses. We want to make sure that you are, you have the health and the ability to do these skills. You know, there's always going to be, if you have body issues, whether it's weak legs, weak hips, weak knees, calves, whatever, we need to address those before Mm -hmm. we think about changing your approach, before we think about changing your setting, before we think about changing your passing. Just wanted to kind of say that there's a lot of valuable information in those two comments, but the big thing that stands out to me is just making sure that your body is able to perform the skills in beach volleyball. And we don't want to change our technique. Obviously, as a quick fix, we need to change it a little bit so that we can still play. But the bigger issue is just making sure that our strength is, is up to par. So great post Bjorn and thanks for, yeah, for leading like that. That's a hundred percent that we mm-hmm. talked about the penultimate step, that last step between your left and your right left, being able to lengthen that is great. You'll have a little bit less momentum than you usually do from indoor, but then right. yeah, if you don't have the stability and you don't have the strength in your legs, hips and core to stop all of that energy and translate it straight up, all of the steps that we're talking about are for not definitely you're the better your body is conditioned, the more you can take advantage of all of this uh, information that we're giving. Right. Yeah, I like that. That's a really, really, really good comment. And I could not agree more with it. All right. We went a little longer than we promised ourselves. I know. So it feels like we don't talk enough. You know, six times a day isn't. I missed you, man. And I miss you too. I'll see you in in 45 minutes. (laughs) Yes. We'll see you on the sand. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So that'll be all for today's episode as far as all the information. If you guys are ever interested in coming to one of our clinics, we have a clinic coming up next weekend, March 5th, at Endless Summer in Long Island, New York. The week after that, the second weekend of March, we are in Grand Sands in Ohio. New York is four spots away from being sold out. And Grand Sands, well, we still have the opportunity to bring some coaches. And I know that we have 30, 31 people already signed up for that. I'm expecting somewhere between 50 and 60, uh, which means that we'll be able to bring out five or six high quality coaches to Ohio. And uh, then we also have Westchester, Alabama. If anybody knows anybody in Biloxi, Mississippi, get in touch with me. It's apparently a great beach town. And I would love to see what I can do there. And then I get to visit my wife who is working there for four weeks. So if you're in or around Biloxi, Mississippi, and you know some beach volleyball, hit me up quick. And that's it. Seven Day Foundations is starting February 28th. So make sure that you are signed up for that. Seven days of mobility workouts, shoulder strengthening, injury prevention, and live meetings. 
with me if you ever want to come to the clinic or host a clinic. Get in touch. Just shoot an email to support at betteratbeach.com. We will be absolutely thrilled to hear from you. Cool? Cool. All right. Have a great day, everybody. And Brandon? We'll see you on the sand. <laughs>